Cornelius Fudge. May I have your attention, please? May I have your attention, please? Will the real weird sisters please stand up? We're gonna have a problem here. We're the weird sisters, we're the real weird sisters. All you other weird sisters are fine, but not the Vickers. Will the real weird sisters please stand up? Please stand up. Please stand up. Hi, and welcome to the Real Weird Sisters. I'm Martha. And I'm Alice. And today we're here to talk about Cornelius Fudge, that blithering idiot. (laughs) It's kind of interesting timing Um, for anybody listening. uh, It just happens to be taking place right after the election where uh, Biden just defeated Trump. So kind of interesting timing. I guess we don't need to get too super into that, but I was quite amused by that. Right. We happened to record this a little bit later in the week than usual. So it is interesting timing. We're not going to say too much more on that. But I will say um, in the midst of the pandemic as well, it's also interesting to be talking about a um, a, a leader who denies, um, you know, the existence of certain threats. I'll just say that as well. <laughs> I know it's just a very funny, funny timing. So hopefully people can enjoy the irony. Um, and, and yeah, and just enjoy talking about one of, one of the more hateable characters in the series. Yeah. So I was, uh, trying to, I was preparing for this episode and my roommates who are both sort of Harry Potter fans, but not really like super like, not to the degree that we are by any means. Um, they were like, oh yeah, who's Fudge again? And they were like, oh yeah, he's kind of he's kind of like a, a gray character, right? I was like, no, he's just awful. <laughs> like he's not really like I mean, at the beginning he's kind of comic relief, but he's not he certainly becomes pretty detestable um by the end of the series, at least yeah. halfway through the series. I think he's one of those people where if he had governed in a time when everything was right with the world, you could have yes. been like, oh, he was fine. He wasn't like an amazing leader, but he was fine. But the fact that he got thrust into this position of leading during the second war of Voldemort, like it it didn't go well for him. And, and it really showed his true colors in a very bad way. Yeah, exactly. And I th- feel like that's very, uh, we see that trajectory for him in the series because the if he had just been minister for the first four books and then it was like his term was up, which doesn't seem like there are term limits. It's either like you get fired or you die in office. for <laughs> Or you get sentenced day. to death, probably. Right, right. <laughs> you get, yeah, maybe you get uh, like put on trial for something. Um, but um, yeah, no, I think if he had only been minister for those four years and if, if there were a term limit that he had happened to leave before the fifth book started uh, or before Voldemort returned, um, people would have looked back on Fudge in history and been like, yeah, he was he was not the most uh, inspiring leader ever, but he at least was a decent person or something. Uh, but once he was put in the leadership position during a extremely dangerous um, threat to to wizard and muggle kind, uh, his his true nature uh, came out, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And I mean. Yeah, the true nature wasn't like, oh, he he tried his best. It was like no. he was willfully denying facts and putting people in danger. So that was not a good look for him. And, and he really did show himself to be a, a different kind of evil than Voldemort, but he was pretty evil. 
Yes, um, definitely. So um, before we actually start talking, we are going to plan to talk about Fudge through the entire series because he's really, even though he does play a big role, he's not in that many chapters in the series. Like, I don't think we have that much content in terms of like scenes to talk about with him. Um, but we are going to go through his entire arc of the, the, the five books that he's really in, which is um, Chamber of Secrets through Half-Blood Prince. Um, but before we actually start doing that, I wanted to talk a little bit about what we know about his background because um not much is known in the books um some has like surfaced after the fact on Pottermore um and from different interviews with the author so one thing that I think is really interesting is that his Hogwarts house has never been confirmed um we always do this like when we're doing Sorting Hats I feel like there's been multiple times where we've compared a character to Fudge and then forgotten been like what is his house again and then we always cover like have to google it it's like oh yeah we don't know his house so that's an interesting layer there's not that many characters in the series who are that way yeah, and I'm kind of surprised that the author hasn't come out and been like, oh, he's whatever. So there's a lot of houses. I would say least likely to be a Gryffindor. Would you agree with that? Definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think he has sort of the arrogance of a Gryffindor, but it's not really the way he... I mean, the, the way he carries out his arrogance, I don't think is a Gryffindor type of arrogance, if, if you know what I'm saying. Well, his values do not involve honor or, like, integrity. It's, it's more no. about self-preservation uh, and kind of like maintaining a good face with the public like that seems to be what he cares about more than anything rather than you know actually standing up for what's right so that's where I feel like he's definitely not a Gryffindor um Ravenclaw I feel like doesn't really fit him either because he's really not like not known for any sort of intellect like he's kind of I, I just don't see him being in Ravenclaw what do you think well, I was trying to think because I, I was like, I'm not 100% sure. I kind of feel like almost Barty Crouch Sr. is another one that we don't know the house of. And I feel like he would probably be likely to be a Ravenclaw because I think his like obsession with order, I think, kind of goes within some sort of Ravenclaw, like, um, you know, camps of Ravenclaw, I guess, even though there's also the camp of the Love Goods, which obviously is extremely different from that. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like Fudge, maybe he has like... Now that we're talking about it, I actually could almost see him being Gryffindor because I kind of think he has his own like moral system that doesn't align with like what most people would call morals. But I don't know. It's hard to pick a house for Fudge because I actually kind of would like him to be a Gryffindor and have him be a, a bad Gryffindor because we have so few examples of the, like truly, truly bad Gryffindors. But I don't know. If I just really don't fits. think he's I, I I'm not saying that all Gryffindors have perfect moral compass but I just don't think that Fudge seems to have any principles so and I feel like in order to be a Gryffindor you have to have some principles um so that's where I just and and maybe they're not right or maybe they're misguided I just don't think he has any so that's where it's really hard for me to say he's a Gryffindor and I so yeah do you agree though he doesn't seem like a Ravenclaw and I agree that he that uh Barty Crouch Jr or Barty Crouch Sr definitely could be a Ravenclaw and I think he probably is um so yeah I think I don't know. I almost see him as like a bad Hufflepuff, which I think yeah. is like a random and rare kind of breed. But I kind of feel like that's, again, where he, when he was in a position where it wasn't like really a terrible time, like he's he's more known for like, you know, just trying to be friends with everyone and, yes. you know, just trying to save face and, um, you know, be he, he wants, like I said, he wants to be friends with everyone. I think that's kind of what it comes down to. And and that doesn't really end up working out given the circumstances. 
Yeah, I would say the only like, because I actually kind of like the idea of him being a, a negative Hufflepuff, not to say that I like the idea of a negative Hufflepuff at all, but like, I think that would be interesting. Um, but I kind of do think he he prides himself on fairness, even though I don't think he is fair. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I think he also is loyal to uh, certain people. But yeah, I, I kind of, I, I think the one factor against Hufflepuff is I do think he's pretty self-interested. It's about his own image more than yeah. anything. That's so true. Uh, but yeah, but I do think he'd be the type who's like posting like be kind instead of like or like be tolerant <laughs> instead of like actually being actively against oppression or something. Like I, I think that would be kind of his approach in in to, to draw a real world parallel. Yeah, and a Hufflepuff move. I think I totally agree with you. Like he's got more of that se- more self interested than most Hufflepuffs are. So that's where I could see the Slytherin side to him, and he's definitely got the self preservation in there. Like he'll do anything to kind of maintain his image. Um, but I don't know. I just there's something that doesn't really scream Slytherin about him. So that's where it's yeah. Kind of, it's hard to picture him, him at Slytherin, Slytherin either. Well, it's hard to picture him in Slytherin. Like he just doesn't fit in with the Death Eaters like you know he's and not that they're all Death Eaters but I'm just saying like he's a ne- he would be a negative Slytherin and I just don't see him I don't know there, I, I can't really exactly articulate why that doesn't feel right but I don't know and I kind yeah, of agree I, like I'd, I, I'd like him to be a different house just so we have some variety yeah I would too <laughs> exactly I I see what you mean though I think like if we compare Slytherin villains he doesn't really I mean maybe Maybe, like, he has some Slughorn in him. I know Slughorn's not a bad Slytherin, but he does have a little bit of that Slughorn, like, um... Trying to get in with the right people. people. Yeah, Yeah, getting in with the right people, yeah. But, I don't know, I kind of like Hufflepuff for Fudge. Or maybe he... Maybe they're... Maybe it was, like, a matter of personal choice. I don't think Fudge would want to be a Slytherin is kind of the other thing. Right, yeah, that's true, because I feel like he'd be so into his image and he wouldn't like that image because he wants right. to be portrayed as, like, the nice guy. Right, um, exactly. Maybe he actually is an American, uh, an American, which would make sense in a lot of ways because he kind of acts like an American. Um, and then also because maybe he went to Ilvermorny. Yeah, well, that that doesn't seem confirmed, or it, it does seem confirmed that he went to Hogwarts um, yeah, from yeah. West, on his Wizarding World. Like it says on Pottermore, he was he went to Hogwarts and was sorted into an unknown house. Um, so that's kind of a weird way of phrasing that from the author. But what we also know about him is that he um, became junior minister around 1981, and then he became minister of magic around 1990, um, which is of course um, just a couple years um, before the events of the first book. So he's been minister not very long when the when the um, events of Sorcerer's Stone start. Um, but one other thing that's notable from Wizarding World uh, or Pottermore, now Wizarding World, is the information that at some point early on during his, during his career as Minister of Magic, he awarded himself the Order of Merlin First Class because um, I guess the author wrote that story about him because it was already... It was given in the books, like it's it's canon that he has an order of Merlin first class, but the author has come out and said that that was given to Fudge by himself, um, <laughs> and it was kind of a controversial choice because it seemed to subvert the worth of the award. <laughs> yeah, uh, that <laughs> sounds about right, and I, it actually sounds kind of like something that you could imagine happening in the real world, too. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, Very American. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... I mean, yeah, so that's interesting to hear his backstory. Um, 
I, I, I do like that we kind of get slowly introduced to him throughout the series, like in the in the first book when we just get um, Hagrid mentioning him and saying like, you know, he just basically sends Dumbledore a lot of owls um, to try to, you know, get advice because he doesn't know what he's doing at all. And so it's interesting just to hear, like, I just, he, that, that's why I kind of feel like he's, he's not a Ravenclaw because I don't think he's... I feel like he's very um, insecure with his own knowledge. So, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, I, even though this is a story that's not totally canon because it's come out after the series, I kind of do buy it with Fudge, like the giving himself Order of Merlin. <laughs> that seems pretty on brand with what he's done in the rest of the, in the actual canon of the series. Yes. Like trying to be like, and then he can always look back on that and be like, well, see, I have an Order of Merlin first class. Right. Like, <laughs> like and who gave it to you? <laughs> yeah, uh, the the author has said that this caused a good deal of muttering among the wizarding community, since the common view was that his career was less than distinguished, thus subverting the worth of this award. So, <laughs> kind of amusing, but yeah, and it that's... is interesting too because, like, how did he get to be in office? I guess if people didn't really have a very favorable favorable view of him, I guess it's probably like a parliamentary system, like in England so maybe it's it's different than maybe it, it's not such a popularity contest the way it is in the United States so yeah well I think there's also a couple um there's a couple things in the book that we'll talk or in the series that we'll talk about of why Fudge became Minister of Magic but um first of all was the arrest of Barty Crouch Jr. um was putting Barty Crouch Sr. in like he, his chances of becoming minister were, were taken. So I think Fudge was like the third choice for the job after Dumbledore right. and Barney Crouch Sr., um, which kind of makes sense um, for, I think, real life as well. Like kind of like he was the, the least offensive candidate or the, the least offensive candidate who wanted the job um, at the time. So yeah, let's, let's dive into Fudge's arc in the series. Like I said, in the first couple of books, um, he, he's not in the first book at all. He is mentioned um, as the Minister of Magic, um, but he only got the real weirdo once in the entire series for us, and it's in Chamber of Secrets, his first appearance. Um, he's only in the chapter for a couple pages um, for the entire book, but I guess we gave it to him because it was his breakout moment, because um, it was our first time actually meeting him. Um, but it's the chapter, he's the titular character of the chapter 14 of Chamber of Secrets, Cornelius Fudge. Um, and this is when he comes to Hagrid's hut to arrest Hagrid and send him to Azkaban prison. <laughs> Not Azkaban prison. <laughs> Where? Not Azkaban prison. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, honestly, like, I think as a kid, I didn't really see the nuance in this scene to where I, I kind of was just like, whatever about fudge but now when i read it i'm like he was pretty awful even in in this scene like it's not like he just comes out of nowhere being awful in the fifth book like he's sending hagrid to prison just to save face with the public and he pretty much knows and says that he doesn't think hagrid's guilty um but he's got to do it just to like make it look like something's happening which is pretty despicable Right, look at it from my point of view. I'm under a lot of pressure. Got to be seen to be doing something. <laughs> if it turns out it wasn't Hagrid, he'll be back and no more said. But I've got to take him. Got to. Wouldn't be doing my duty. So he pretty much, he he's at least, he owns it, exactly what he's doing. Right, I mean, and that's the thing too. I don't think he's all that clever. Like he just, he, I mean, if he was really clever and manipulative, he'd be able to spin this in a way, even to Hagrid, that was a little bit more convincing than just like, you know, like, I, I just have to be seen doing something. 
Right. He literally says it right there. And he, the ministry's got to do something. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe this is what we discussed. That This was why we gave him the real weirdo. He pretty much shows who he is in his first uh, instance that we see him. The other description, we, we, we do get that he's wearing a strange mixture of clothes, a pinstriped suit, a scarlet tie, a long black cloak, and pointed purple boots. Under his arm, he carried a lime green bowler. Uh, <laughs> I think maybe like, that's why we gave him the real weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> like um you're going to a wizarding place you don't have to dress weird like i mean you could have just worn robes <laughs> yeah no i think i forgot i when we were talking about what house he's in we forgot to talk about his penchant for fashion yeah that's true that would be a ravenclaw move i think maybe uh i don't know what that would be <laughs> <laughs> i mean it sounds kind of like the way the love goods dress <laughs> a little bit yeah um but i feel like he would hate he would hate the love goods yeah i think so too um, um definitely too too kooky for him but he's like so good i mean he's so good at justifying things to himself like i i don't think it justifies it to us or to haggard or dumbledore or harry like it, it's pretty clear that this is silly but like at the same time i just think fudge is like trying to find a way out for himself and he's like okay this is how i can sell this to myself and make myself not think I'm a horrible person is just saying like I'm I, this is my duty I have to do something and you know what if 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 he's innocent he'll be back in no time it's like right. okay oh, but no, he's... no harm done <laughs> yeah because going to Azkaban isn't traumatizing as, at, at all right yeah and Fudge doesn't really even say anything after after Hagrid like is freaked out and then of course Lucius comes in and he's the one who does most of the talking from then on Fudge says like later on he uh says to Dumbledore like uh, that he's sorry it has to happen or something like that but it's not really once once Lucius comes in it's very clear like the hold that Lucius has over Fudge as well yeah and it's interesting because I just feel like throughout the, the throughout the whole series Fudge is definitely just somebody who you can really see that he's operating out of fear um, for yes. most of it and he's just very afraid of Lots and lots of things. And that's another reason why I don't think he's a Gryffindor. Like, well, I was just... going to say, I think that's a that might be a point for why he is a Gryffindor. If he's operating on fear, I think that that's like, I think people who value bravery operate under fear more than people who operate under intelligence. Well, I don't think he's op operating in a brave way, though, is what I'm trying to say. Like, I think he's operating out of fear and, and very cowardly in what he does. And I think a Gryffindor is supposed to be brave and I know I, I I'm not saying you can't be afraid and be brave at the same time but I don't think he acts in a brave way no but I think that we've kind of I, I don't know I don't want to hash this too much but I, <laughs> I kind of have started to feel like Gryffindors aren't just brave period they operate out of a sense of wanting to be brave which would mean that fear is what motivates them well, but okay, and I agree, we don't, we don't need to go down this rabbit hole too much because we talk about sorting all the time. Um, but I just think like there's a difference between being afraid and then like standing up and being brave to combat that versus being super afraid and then just like that's how you operate is because you're afraid. Right, the... The author really screwed all of us when she put Wormtail into Gryffindor because totally um, that's so true for ma for many reasons. But yeah, I, when I we were trying to discuss what Fudge ha what House Fudge would be, and I was like, the character I would compare him closest to is Wormtail. Um, that's true. But, that yeah. is true. But um, that's yeah. not that's that's a, another matter. So um, right, but so yeah, I will say the the other thing Fudge does in this scene is that Lucius has come mostly to tell Dumbledore that he's being suspended, and Fudge does disagree with that choice. He's very 
pro Dumbledore at this point, at least. But he doesn't do anything in his power to actually prevent Dumbledore from being removed. Right. He's just he. And I guess when I was saying before that he operates out of fear, he he very much is somebody who is going to kind of like, I guess, gravitate toward the strongest presence in the room. Um, And I think like the person who is speaking and whispering in his ear most closely. Um, And so he has in the past felt a a sense of loyalty to Dumbledore um, because Dumbledore has given him advice. So I think he that's why he likes Dumbledore at this point. Um, But Lucius now has been in his ear enough that he's kind of like starting to gravitate that way. Um, And I think he also he's like kind of torn like, well, who do I believe here? Like because both of them seem really smart and both of them seem like they know what they're talking about. And he's just not very good at making that decision of like, okay, clearly I need to go with Dumbledore because he's actually a good person versus Lucius, who's just in this for himself. Right. Well, and that's like we mentioned briefly, the the mentions of Fudge in the first book are when Hagrid says that Fudge is Minister of Magic and that he writes letters to Dumbledore every day asking for advice. But I think Fudge in this instance, it's not so much a matter of being uh, swayed by Lucius as it is like he doesn't think it's like he doesn't want to rock the boat and he thinks that Lucius has the support of the other governors, um, all 12 of them. So I think that's what really wins Lucius to fudge or wins fudge to Lucius's side in this case is once Lucius says like the other members of the board, all of us have signed unanimously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so fudge is like, okay, well it's out of my hands now. I don't want to rock the boat here. Right. He can't be like the one person to stand up against the majority. Like he's, he wants to be with the majority. Um, right. And exactly. I, I like how fudge is like, when he says to Hagrid, like, it's not a punishment, Hagrid. It's more of a precaution. Well, it, it's a pretty strong punishment. Yeah, it definitely, definitely is a real punishment. I'd like to see Fudge survive Azkaban. That definitely <laughs> say that it's not a punishment to go there. Right, no kidding. So, like I said, that's really all we see of Fudge in the second book. I mean, we have some discussion of it afterwards um, from Ron. Uh, it's funny because whenever Fudge is seen in the first couple books, he's referred to as Arthur's boss. Um, so that's kind of a funny way of thinking of Fudge. I guess it's true, technically. Yeah, although I'm like, I'm sure there's got to be somebody in between Fudge and, and <laughs> Arthur. Like, I don't think that Arthur is like directly reporting to Fudge. Definitely not in the second book. I think once he gets promoted, he might be, but I... <laughs> don't think it'd be it's like saying that like the president of a company is uh staffer's boss yeah like anybody who works for amazon like jeff bezos is their boss like i mean yeah technically but like they've probably never seen him before right exactly (laughs) um okay so let's move on to the third book because fudge does have a more significant role in this book this is where he we actually have to see him kind of leading more so i mean obviously the chamber of secrets um stuff is fudge leading but there's more of a crisis on the hands of the wizarding world with the escape of Sirius Black so fudge um, plays a pretty active role in the third book um, and we meet him right away in chapter three when Harry gets off the night bus he's there to greet Harry um, in Diagon Alley yeah and I think here um, fudge is pretty friendly to Harry um, and he's very like forgiving about Harry inflating Aunt Marge and stuff um and I think, again, like now that we know more about Fudge, you can see that he's operating out of a sense of like, oh my gosh, can you imagine if something happened to Harry Potter under my watch? Like I would be right. just like totally eviscerated by the public. So that seems to be kind of what his real motivation is in, in being nice to Harry and setting him up in the, in the, um, the hotel and everything. Right. So he doesn't 
Fudge and Harry don't interact at all in the second book. The third book is going to be the first um, book where they're interacting. And then he has the same approach to Harry in both book three and book four, where he's very like fatherly, like overly, like always putting a hand on Harry's shoulder and like looking down on him kindly. And he's like, um, just in this scene, especially it's ridiculous. He, he, he puts his hand on Harry's shoulder right away. And then he's increasing the pressure on Harry's shoulder. And he says he still hadn't let go of Harry. It's very clear. Like I've got him now and I'm going to keep him, keep him safe no matter what, because I can't let Harry, I can't let anything happen to Harry Potter under my watch. Right, exactly. And it's really interesting, actually, that you, because you're right, this is the first time that Harry actually interacts with Fudge, and Fudge has no idea that Harry saw him in Hagrid's hut. So it's kind of interesting that Harry actually comes into this scene having seen Fudge kind of in a negative light, um, and now Fudge is kind of acting this different way um, and has and has no idea that Harry has seen kind of more of his true colors. And very interesting to kind of compare the way that Fudge treats Hagrid versus the way that Fudge treats Harry. Um, and just knowing that he doesn't, you know, Hagrid is like kind of somebody who he's not going to get anything from being kind to. Um, so he kind of was willing to use him as a scapegoat, whereas now Harry being famous and kind of known as a hero at this point in the series, he has to, he's being really nice to him because he knows that that's like a good look for him. Yes, totally. I think he has much more to gain from being uh, kind to Harry than he does from being kind to Hagrid, which I guess would be sort of a Slytherin way of looking at things. Again, I don't quite see Slytherin for Fudge, but in this, we do have to talk about Fudge's outfit in this scene, too, because he's wearing a pinstriped cloak and a bottle green suit. Um, I guess bottle green is kind of dark, right? I, like, I'm picturing, like, a, a like a Heineken bottle or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I, I don't like a beer bottle or a wine. I guess a wine bottle. Some of those are green. Um, yeah, true. Yeah, it just probably depends. I don't if that's what bottle green is referring to. <laughs> I think so. That's, I mean, that's my first thought. It's like that sort of sort glass, of darkish green. Yeah, like a dark glass. green glass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty color. I don't know if I like it for a suit. <laughs> But yeah, so it's it's funny in this scene because Fudge has to Fudge introduces himself and Harry has to pretend he's never met Fudge because, but like I th- I mean I think Fudge I think Harry could be like I know I've seen you in the paper or something I don't think he has to be like, oh I was wondering who you were, like, <laughs> but he's like he says he he, uh, he knew this of course he had seen Fudge once before but as he had been wearing his father's invisibility cloak at the time Fudge wasn't to know that I guess this is because it's an early chapter we have to be reminded that <laughs> Harry has an invisibility cloak right this is the early early Harry Potter chapter early series yes um, Harry Potter chapter or, or beginning Harry Potter chapter like we we've got to really hit ourselves over the head with what has happened in previous books and um and remind everybody about what everything is in the wizarding world um i'm surprised we didn't see something about when he had seen hagrid sent to azkaban prison not azkaban prison (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that hair fudge does uh he's very fatherly eat harry you look dead on your feet eat it'll help (laughs) yeah um harry gets told to eat a lot in this book 
Well, I think this might be one of his lowest points. I guess the second book more so at the beginning of the series or the beginning of the book before he goes to Hogwarts. But after a summer at the Dursleys, he's always being told to eat because he yeah. look he's looking a bit peaky. <laughs> That's true. It's not till the next book though that he's restricted to grapefruit quarters. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> but yeah, Fudge Fudge is like just talking at Harry. He's ah, you're worrying about the reaction of your aunt and uncle. Well, I won't deny that they are extremely angry, Harry, but they are prepared to take you back next summer as long as you stay at Hogwarts for the Christmas and Easter holidays. <laughs> and it's funny because I think Fudge is like trying to relate to Harry here, but it, yeah. it's very clear that he doesn't know a thing about who Harry is or what Harry cares about. Um, if he thinks that Harry is worried about the Dursleys, like that's the least of Harry's worries. Right, right. And then, yeah, Fudge is just being so, like, Harry's, like, hardly saying anything, and Fudge is just talking at him. Of course, the scene in the movie is iconic, because we have uh, Tom the Hunchback coming in uh, with the, the bowl of peanuts, and, right, smart bird, you goddamn Mr. Potter. <laughs> I'm, like, pushing the peanuts on Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, no, in this case, Fudge is actually just buttering crumpets, with, which I have to say, I sounds very delicious. <laughs> so, and the other aspect of this scene that we have to make sure we touch on is the is the fact that Sirius is on the loose, and so Fudge is concerned about Harry um, because he thinks that that Sirius broke out to kill Harry, uh, and that's why Harry is very suspicious of Fudge because he's being so nice. So that's another big motivation in in why he's being so nice to Harry. Yes, exactly. Um, so I think that we're seeing it's not just like Fudge wants to protect Harry Potter. It's also Fudge wants to protect like I, I feel like this would be even more of a scandal in any case. Um, but with with Sirius Black on the run and with Fudge thinking we know Fudge thinks that Sirius Black broke out to get Harry. Um, so, yeah, Fudge. Fudge's explanation to Harry here is where he says, um, circumstances change, Harry. We have to take into account in the present climate, surely you don't want to be expelled. <laughs> and then he just like laughs. He's like, oh, well, then what's all the fuss about? Now have a crumpet, Harry, while I go and see if Tom's got a room for you. My favorite is when Harry asks him to sign the Hogsmeade permission form, and he's like, I'm very sorry, but I, as I'm not your parent or guardian. And then Harry's like, well, you're the Minister of Magic if you gave me permission. And then Fudge, I'm sorry, Harry, but rules are rules, as if that, as if that really is true. Right, he could definitely have signed <laughs> Harry's permission slip, but um, yeah, clearly, clearly nobody wants Harry to go to Hogsmeade because of uh, the the criminal on the loose. But yeah, that's Fudge's first instance, and I have to say, like when I read this book for the first time, I was very much like, oh, Fudge is Fudge is so nice. Fudge is just such a fun, like goofy character, like kooky with his weird suits and his weird outfits, and he's just very, very nice to Harry all the time. And I definitely was pro Fudge. Yeah, I was pretty swayed by this scene too, and it's it's interesting because, like I said, it's not like we don't know his true colors. We saw him just one book ago, and and like at the end of the book, so it hasn't even been very long. And Harry is kind of suspicious of Fudge the whole time, so I don't really know why, as a kid, you're so like willing to be forgiving of Fudge when you first read about him. But yeah, I think it's weird because Fudge like you should be suspicious of why Fudge is acting like this, but I feel like I kind of explained it away in my head of like, oh, like it must be the other people at the ministry who are bad and Fudge is, Fudge is understanding, like the people who sent Harry the, the letter about, or the letter of warning after Dobby and the, the pudding, like that was other people at the ministry and Fudge is much less of a, 
less of a stickler for the rules or so he's good cop or like that kind of thing so yeah i think that was kind of how i explained it but it definitely is suspicious like the way he's treating harry so so over the top patronizing uh, and then in comparison to what he did to hagrid in the second book we have that as a comparison already right and I think even like before the re- before the fifth book was out, I feel like even when I reread the series, I was just like, oh, he's only like the reason Fudge was being weird is because Black was on the loose and Harry was afraid that, or I mean, sorry, and Fudge was afraid that, that Sirius was going to come try to kill right. Harry. So that's why he was acting sketchy. It's yes. Like, it's a combination of that and the fact that he's kind of just willing to go whichever way the wind is blowing at the moment. Right, exactly. Um, so yeah, we don't really see Fudge um, again in the third book until um, in in the Three Broomsticks when Harry's there and obviously that we have the he was their friend, but Fudge <laughs> does play a role at the beginning of the, the time at Hogwarts because it's Fudge's responsibility or it's Fudge's it's Fudge's decision to have the the Dementors at Hogwarts and the Dementor on the train and all of the um, interference of the Dementors is Fudge's doing. So he is playing an active role in what's happening at Hogwarts. Um, he's just more behind the scenes. And again, I feel like the Dementors are just like such an embodiment of the idea of like operating out of fear. Like, oh, I'd rather put the Dementors there so that like, I just feel like that's such a, a cowardly way of of dealing with this situation. Yeah, I also feel like it's kind of, um, it's it's like cowardly and also like just the appearance of doing something, which is cowardly, of course, in itself. But it, it's not just of like, I actually think the Dementors are going to do something, but it's like, I've got to make it seem like I'm doing as much as I can. Um, right, and totally. having the Dementors there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we see Fudge is pretty terrified of the Dementors himself. We see that in the fourth book, especially when he is at Hogwarts and with Barty Crouch Jr. and stuff. Um, so I don't think he particularly likes the dementors but i think he thinks that they're they what they represent is like law and order and that's what he is in favor of i guess so yeah yeah um i agree yeah it's definitely that's a very telling moment that he puts the dementors at hogwarts even against dumbledore's will and i think that's actually one of the first times i guess besides when he arrested hagrid but that's when he's starting to turn against dumbledore a little bit um and, and not just doing what Dumbledore tells him. He's doing what other people recommend to him or what he thinks is going to be the safest move. Yes, exactly. I think that's what that's exactly what's happening. Um, and we see that obviously Dumbledore has more power over what's happening at Hogwarts in this book than he does in the fifth book because he, the Dementors aren't allowed into the castle. Um, so that's at least the, the one impact that Dumbledore is able to have on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also typical that like the government can just come and tell the teachers what to do, even though they're not the ones in the school. Right. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's pretty much Fudge's impact at the beginning of the book. Then the the biggest scene, I think, well, halfway through the book is when we see Fudge uh, at the Three Broomsticks with uh, McGonagall, Rose Murda and Flitwick and Hagrid um, discussing what happened um the night that that James and Lily were killed. Yeah, and it's interesting like that Fudge is just there chilling with McGonagall and Flitwick and Hagrid. Like especially yes. the fact that Hagrid's there um with Fudge who just threw him in prison like a year ago. Uh <laughs> it's kind of weird, like almost a little bit unbelievable that Fudge is hanging out with them, but I guess it makes sense from a perspective yeah like i i feel like maybe mcgonagall and flitwick were with were with fudge and then hagrid just showed up and 
McGonagall or Flitwick invited Hagrid to join them or something. Like, I don't think that the four of them together made plans. Um, Probably maybe, not, no. Maybe it was like Flitwick and Hagrid together and McGonagall and Fudge together or so, some sort of pairings were happening. Um, but yeah, this time Fudge is wearing a, a lime green bowler hat and a pinstriped cloak. Um, I feel like he, he's a big fan of the pinstripes and lime green bowler hat. The lime green bowler, I like can't even picture, but I guess... I know, right? <laughs> Makes like... him sound like the Joker. Uh, or the yeah, Riddler or something. Uh, he also, ca- yeah, that's kind of how he dresses. Honestly, is like the Joker. Um, and then, I guess though that he, I guess I don't know. I guess he just really enjoys those bright colors. Yeah, that's what's confusing though. It's like I'm not really sure why. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but he, this, the, they come in together. Um, and I do feel like the reason that I do feel like Fudge is a little bit charmed by Madame Rose Murda, and that's why he wants to tell this whole story because she's very like, she, she's very curious and a really rapt audience for him. But yes, yeah, he does first talk to her a little bit about the Dementors because Rose Murda act like tells him she doesn't like having all the Dementors here, and he, Rose Murda, my dear, I don't like them any more than you do. Necessary precaution, unfortunate, but there you are. I've just met some of them. They're in a fury against Dumbledore. He won't let them inside the castle grounds. I. And the more I think about this scene, it's like super unbelievable to me that Rosemurda would feel just like confident enough to be having a casual conversation. <laughs> with bold. Well, I know, but that all of these people would just be having a casual conversation with the Minister of Magic. I mean, I guess it's a little bit different than like, I guess he doesn't govern over as many people as like the real prime minister or like another actual like world leader. Um, but I think... I don't know. I mean, like, I think about the conversations that people have with, like, say, the superintendent of the school district, and they're not even this casual, usually. Well, the, the thing is, Fudge is the kind of leader that you can have a butterbeer with. <laughs> that, that is true. And that's what he wants. Yeah. Or I guess for him, you, it's he's the kind of leader where you can have a, a red currant rum, a cherry syrup and soda with ice and umbrella, and four <laughs> pints of mold, mold mead and a small gilly water with. <laughs> the small gilly water has to be my favorite. That sounds kind of gross. Like that sounds like, like seawater. I agree. I have to. <laughs> I have to say, the only one that actually sounds good is the cherry syrup and soda with ice and umbrella. That sounds delicious. <laughs> I like how it's. I, he has to have the umbrella. <laughs> well, it's very. That's. I love that. It's very endearing of Flitwick. Um. Yeah. The red currant rum. That's. I don't think that sounds too good. Uh, that one might be okay. Red currant is a nice flavor. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but that's Fudge's that's drink, so I guess you and best. Fudge are very similar. No, that's the second best after the cherry soda. Um, Probably. Mold mead, I guess. It's better than gilly water, I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so then this conversation, like you said, is very casual, but Fudge pretty much just tells the story of little little runt of a bo- little lump of a boy, Peter Pettigrew. <laughs> Um, yeah, and so they kind of all, the group kind of tells the story. Um, my favorite is... Mostly Fudge and McGonagall. Well, and then Hagrid certainly chimes in. Um, when when he, when he comforted the murdering traitor. (laughs) And you know what I did? I comforted the murdering traitor. (laughs) Hagrid, please keep your voice down. (laughs) How was I to know he wasn't upset about Lillian James? It was you know who he cared about. And then he says, give Harry to me, Hagrid. I'm his godfather. I'll look after him. Ha! 
<laughs> but I had me orders from Dumbledore, and I told Black no. Dumbledore said Harry was to go to his aunt and uncle's. Black argued, but in the end he gave in, told me to take his motorbike to get Harry there. I won't need it anymore, he says. <laughs> <laughs> but what if I'd given Harry to him, eh? I bet he'd have bitched off the bike halfway out to sea. His best friend's son. <laughs> Oh, this is what I mean when I said that Hagrid certainly chimed in. He certainly, he talks for like 10 paragraphs. Uh, but yeah, Rosemurt is just asking questions and Fudge, Fudge does contribute quite a bit here. But uh, yeah, a lot of the adjectives and adverbs that are used to describe Fudge, I think are important in this book because the word kindly is associated with Fudge a lot. He's saying stuff to mcgonagall kindly and he's saying stuff like he has a kindly look on his face there's several times where that word kindly is associated with him so i do think that that kind of influences the way the reader sees him when they read this the first time yeah that's a good point because i think we're kind of you know that's what you end up focusing on rather than thinking about maybe his actions it's it's more just right. like the way that he's coming across exactly so yeah i think that it's not really like it's kind of we're supposed to trust fudge more than we do uh, or more than we should uh, in the beginning of this but yeah fudge basically explains that the reason sirius has broken out is to to catch harry or to get harry potter and probably to reunite with um voldemort right so again like i don't know that this scene is super characterizing of fudge other than kind of misleading the reader a little bit into who he truly right. is and then also just I think it does show that Fudge really enjoys kind of being part of this group and and yes. contributing to the story and kind of like the gossip of it all. Like he's totally. he's really in his element here, enjoying himself. Yes, totally. I, I completely agree. I think the gossip element is definitely key to Fudge's character, um, especially in that scene. Um, so the next time we're going to see Fudge is in chapter twenty or chapter sixteen of Prisoner of Azkaban, which is Professor Trelawney's prediction. Um, and in this scene, he's on his way to the execution of Buckbeak, pretty much. But he sees Harry. Hello there, Harry. Just had an exam, I expect. Nearly finished. Then he, Lovely day. Pity. Pity. I'm here on an unpleasant mission, Harry. The Committee for the Disposal of Dangerous Creatures required a witness to the execution of a mad hippogriff. As I needed to visit Hogwarts to check on the black situation, I was asked to step in. Yeah, and I think this scene kind of shows us it's actually something that i can kind of identify with um just how like fudge is in a terrible situation here like or there's a there's a terrible thing going on buckbeak's about to be sentenced to death um they're about to execute this creature um but he's putting on this like happy cheerful face and i kind of get that because sometimes people it'll, it'll be like something really bad going on and i'll just like have a big smile on my face like oh i'm good how are you yeah. I, I hate it's a lovely that. day isn't it like i i don't like that i do that but it, sometimes it's it's easier than like kind of showing true emotion to people i guess um and i don't think that fudge necessarily is like upset about killing the hippogriff but it's kind of like he's, he's not just, excited about it he kind of wants everybody to be in a good mood all the time it's like can't yes. we all just get along right exactly yeah so that might be another point for the hufflepuff idea for him for fudge but yeah ron does fight back with fudge a little bit he's like oh the appeals already happened <laughs> then you might not have to witness an execution after all the hippogriff might get off yeah and it's kind of interesting that fudge comes into this just plan like 
I mean, it kind of is a sh- is showing the reader uh, and Ron and Harry and everything that kind of this whole system is pretty rigged against against Hagrid and Buckbeak. It's Fudge is pretty much planning on the execution, even though the appeal hasn't even happened. Like that's not really a fair trial, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, shocker for the Wizarding world that we're not going to get a fair trial here. A really big shocker. Yes, I'm really surprised about that. But yeah, we're, we're going to see Fudge a couple more times in this book. Obviously, he's at the execution of Buckbeak the first and second times. And he um, is one of the people to say like, well, there's nothing to be done once once Buckbeak's body is missing. But we'll see him next, like having stuff to really say in chapter 21, which is Hermione's secret. Uh, in that scene, he's getting ready to give Snape the Order of Berlin first class uh, for catching Black. <laughs> right yeah um he he is really excited about that idea i guess right i guess second class first class if i can wangle it he says i think that's probably supposed to say wrangle <laughs> uh martha you haven't wangled um that before I i've guess. never i've never tried to wangle something like that i'm gonna look up wangle and see if that might be a word I, before we fully commit to saying that i guess it is a word it says to manage to obtain something by persuading or cleverly manipulating someone well that's it then i've never used that before so i'm is it just, british um it says it's informal um but it it doesn't necessarily say from what i'm hmm. looking at interesting well anyway i guess it's not a typo he's going to wangle a order of merlin second first class for snape um, and then he starts talking about um how he says oh harry potter you know we've all got a bit of a blind spot where he's concerned and then <laughs> snape and yet is it good for him to be given so much special treatment personally i try and treat him like any other student and any other student would be suspended at the very least for leading his friends into such danger. Consider, minister, against all school rules, after all the precautions put in place for his protection, out of bounds, at night, consorting with a werewolf and a murderer. And I have reason to believe he's been visiting Hogsmeade illegally, too. Gosh, Snape sure had his... He's, it's like his elevator speech that he's been practicing. Like... His elevator pitch. <laughs> He's like worked up this little, it is like a 30 second spiel that he's giving to the minister. It's like, if you get the minister in, in an elevator with you for 30 seconds, what would you say? And Snape's, Snape's like, I would convince him that Harry is a terrible person. Right. He's very excited to do this. He's doing such a great job of, of uh, putting on that front of not being on Harry's side. He's but a I really mean, good actor. I mean, he pretty much laid out like so many different, it was like a whole resume of reasons that Harry should, isn't a good person. Um, and then, I mean, I think Snape, or I, mean, I think Fudge is not too taken with this speech right away, but he also like, Again, he's not, like, sticking up for Harry. He goes, the, well, we shall see, Snape. We shall see. Right. The boy has right. undoubtedly been foolish. Right. Yeah, and then once Harry wakes up, Fudge is like, now, Harry, what's this? You should be in bed. Has he had any chocolate? <laughs> but Harry, Harry, you're very confused. You've been through a dreadful ordeal. Lie back down now. We've got everything under control. Yeah, and and I think in this case, it's like, He's just super frustrating person to deal with because you're like, no, okay, he he doesn't get what's going on, um, but you're still not necessarily seeing him exactly as like evil um, in this moment. It's more just like, 
a blustering fool. Right, yeah, that like when Snape Snape yells at Hermione, Miss Granger, hold your tongue and but now Snape, it says startled. The young lady is disturbed in her mind. We must make allowances. <laughs> oh, he's so brave. He really stands up for the little guy. She's disturbed in her mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, she's so disturbed in her mind. <laughs> um but yeah, so Fudge then isn't really there until again after after they've apprehended, or after Black has been able to escape the, sec- the second iteration of this happening. Um, and this time he's like um, just very confused, of course, about what's happening. Um, and he he tries to reason with Snape when Snape is yelling at Harry. Yeah, and I think Fudge, I th- again, like I think Fudge is all about like trying to seem nice. Um, so that's this is where he actually does kind of like stand up to Snape or like turns against him a little bit. But I think it's because he's like, okay, this isn't a good look and I don't want to be associated with this. Because um, Snape is like freaking out, like shouting at Harry, out with it, Potter, what did you do? Um, and then that's when Fudge is finally like, he goes, calm down, man. You're talking nonsense. I like, right, calm yeah. down, man. Hey, calm down, man. <laughs> Take it easy, bro. <laughs> Yeah, the fellow seems quite unbalanced. I'd watch out for him if I were you, Dumbledore. I mean, that was probably Fudge's best take on anything ever. Snape is quite unbalanced, it's true. (laughs) And I'd watch out for him, too. Dumbledore, no, he's not unbalanced. He's just suffered a severe disappointment. Enough apologizing for Snape. We're done with that. Right, and then Fudge, he's not the only one. Um, all it needs now is for the story of that hippogriff's escape to get out and I'll be a laughing stock. He's talking about uh, the, what the Daily Prophet is going to say about him. Yeah, he's he's somebody who's very, very fearful of the press. I think he, he can't stand the Daily Prophet until he actually gets them kind of under his wing, I guess. Right, yeah. And so he also says, um, he agrees with Dumbledore that the Dementors will be removed from the school because they attempted to administer the kiss on Harry. And he, he says he never dreamed that would happen. Yeah, it's like, okay, that didn't take a rocket scientist to imagine how having the Dementors at a school full of underage wizards and witches, how that could possibly go wrong. Right, yeah, <sighs> he's not really, he, he clear like, I feel like maybe he did, but the, the like, I would never have, ima- I never would have dreamed, like, that's a very, like, that phrase, I feel like most people, oftentimes when people say that, they really have dreamed it, but they, they like, don't want to admit that they've thought about the possibility <laughs> yeah. of that happening. Well, and I mean, it's either either that, which I agree could definitely be what it is, or it's just like he literally didn't think about it because he's he's not like put the thought in that's really necessary before you make a decision like that. Yes, that's also a distinct possibility, especially based on his track record. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's the end of of Fudge's arc in the third book. Um, We're going to take a quick break to tell you about a sponsor for today's episode um, before we get back to talking about the fourth book. Maybe you haven't always thought of socks as the perfect gift or the perfect way to give back. But actually, Bombas socks were made to give, literally. When you give a pair of super comfortable Bombas socks, you're not only giving someone a gift they'll love, you're also donating a specially designed pair to someone in need. Because for every pair of socks Bombas sells, they donate a pair to someone experiencing homelessness across the U.S., And since socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters, the generosity of giving Bombas will make a meaningful impact this holiday season. Bombas are specially engineered to be the most comfortable pair of socks you and everyone on your gift list has ever worn. They spent years perfecting every detail, like eliminating those annoying toe seams, making sure their socks never slip, and creating a special midfoot support system. 
Wearing them really feels like Hermione cast a cushioning charm directly onto my feet. They're way more comfortable than any socks that Uncle Vernon has ever handed down to Harry, and I love wearing them every day. Bombas comes in a ton of different colors and styles, including athletic performance socks, limited edition holiday socks, dress socks, and socks made from merino wool, a natural wonder fiber that's super warm, incredibly soft, and naturally moisture-wicking. The generosity of Bombas customers has allowed them to donate over 40 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of 3,000-plus giving partners. And finally, Bombas socks are 100% backed for life. If you or anyone you give them to aren't happy with them, just reach out to their customer happiness team who will issue an exchange or refund. From comfort to kindness and everything in between, Bombas aren't just givable, they were made to give. Go to bombas.com slash realweird today and get 20% off your first order. That's bombas.com slash realweird. Bombas.com slash realweird. So that brings us right back into talking about Goblet of Fire and Fudge's role in this book is pretty significant. It's just not, there's not much like growth for Fudge. I mean, I guess growth is not really the right word for Fudge, period, but I guess he's not developed much further in this book until the very end. He's more just an active role because of the um, Triwizard Tournament. And um, I guess we find out a little bit more about his uh, journey to becoming Minister of Magic a little bit in this book as well. But this book, we first see him at the Quidditch World Cup. He's in the top box with the Weasleys and with Lucius Malfoy. Yeah, and this is probably like I don't know, would you say this is probably the high point in his his career as minister? Because, I mean, at the Quidditch World Cup, um, just nothing really bad happened yet. Um, like the the whole um, Death Eater thing incident is going to take place right after this, so it hasn't yet happened. And um, I think, you know, Sirius, that whole thing is kind of done for now. But I, I just feel like he's kind of in a great a great time in his life right here and it's it's all about to come crashing down pretty soon so it's kind of an interesting to think about it from that perspective yeah at first thought I would have thought that as well I just feel like it's kind of interesting that he is at such a good point in his career after only a few months after Sirius's escape like I, I think he was expecting That's to true. be like like he said the laughing stock of the Daily Prophet after Sirius's escape and Buckbeak's escape even so I mean he does seem like he's pretty popular right now but yeah I don't know if he's actually doing quite as well maybe maybe that serious stuff wasn't it we never really get a, a conclusion or closure about what how people were really reacting to Sirius's escape until I guess in the fifth book when the Daily Prophet starts to say that Sirius is re the reason that Voldemort's going to return or something or whatever they say about Sirius but yeah that he's like kind of trying to gather up the followers or something right yeah. or that he's he's the reason that the the um Death Eaters escaped from Azkaban um, yeah to, to rally with Sirius Black um <laughs> But yeah, at the in the top box, it's a funny scene because Fudge is with the Bulgarian Minister of Magic and the <laughs> Bulgarian Minister of Magic is acting like he doesn't speak English. Uh, we're going to find out um, later on that he actually does speak English um, and he's just saying it was very funny to watch Fudge try to speak, uh, try to explain stuff to him. Um, yeah, he... Uh, he's doing a pretty, the Bulgarian Minister of Magic, uh, it's pretty sneaky here because he is like totally acting like he can't speak English. He doesn't seem to recognize Harry until he spots Harry's scar and then he started gabbing or gabbling loudly and excitedly pointing at it. So I feel like he's not just like sort of pretending he doesn't speak English. He is actively, um, <laughs> actively acting like he doesn't understand anything. 
Yeah, he is totally trolling Fudge here, and he's just like, it's it's so typical. Like, he's so patronizing about this Bulgarian minister, and he's just like, I knew we'd get there eventually with this right. guy. But right. it's like, okay, yeah. yeah, Fudge, it's not like you know Bulgarian. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and then we, we do see Fudge kind of um, rubbing elbows with the Malfoys here. Lucius, ah, Fudge, how are you? I don't think you've met my wife, Narcissa, or our son, Draco. And you can definitely see how I think um, Malfoy is really getting, Lucius is really getting into Fudge's ear here. And I think this is kind of, I mean, he's been working on it for a while, but I think we're starting to see this more and more. And I do think that he's going to really end up being successful in kind of gaining Fudge's trust. Yeah, I think so too. And then we see also that Lucius, it, Fudge is like not listening to Lucius when he bullies Arthur and he just goes, Lucius has just given a very generous contribution to St. Mungo's Hospital. Uh, he's here as my guest. And Arthur has to be like, oh, how nice. <laughs> yeah. And I think like, yeah, Lucius, I mean, is obviously very good at manipulating people. But yeah, he's, he's doing it by a combination of like sucking up to Fudge and then also just like by donating a bunch of money. Like, I guess that is the way that people get into politicians ears yes exactly um and yeah so i i think fudge we don't see too much more from him i guess we see in this scene also he is the one who tells ludo to get going um with the commentary but yeah fudge fudge is basically just there in the top box with them and then he obviously is going to react to the dark mark stuff he's not really there's not really much from him though i mean we kind of see i think that's kind of indicative of who he is like he's not really taking a huge active leadership role in the the riots and stuff yeah of course not so yeah like i said fudge is playing like a role behind the scenes in the creation of the triwizard tournament and stuff and we hear obviously percy talking about crouch and fudge and like we don't hear percy's more obsessed with crouch than he is with fudge in this book obviously so the next time that we're actually going to get like a real significant backstory of fudge is in the chapter padfoot returns which is when Sirius talks to the trio about how barty crouch um kind of fell from grace in the ministry and and it's basically when barty crouch jr's son was arrested that was when fudge became minister of magic after that because that was a big enough scandal that prevented crouch senior from becoming minister of magic yeah and we talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the show but i do feel like that is a highly realistic way that Fudge could come to be in power. Um, Just having had somebody else who was sort of on that trajectory um, that everybody was expecting to be minister someday. And then all of a sudden like has a huge scandal and he's kind of out of the running. And so then we're like, okay, well, who do we turn to now? Um, And that's how Fudge ended up becoming minister. Yes. um, I think that, that, that does, that does explain a lot. Like we said, like Fudge is just such an uninspiring, like, figure so i do think like just the whole it was dumbledore was seemed to be people's first choice or some people's first choice and then other other camps wanted the like law and order candidate which was crouch um but then neither one was either interested or um publicly popular enough right before the position was offered so that's why it went to fudge Mm -hmm. um so the next time we're actually going to see fudge is in dumbledore's office um he is there to investigate the crouch um situation which is Barty Crouch's senior's disappearance after um after Harry and Crumb finding him in the woods um so he's he is in Dumbledore's office and actually Harry overhears a conversation where Fudge actually seems to think that Madame Maxime might have been responsible which is kind of amusing at first but then you when you dive a little bit deeper it's showing like a little bit of a a bias not even just a little bit but a bias against non-humans 
Right. Yeah. It's very um, kind of like, yeah, like you said, it's funny at first because thinking about Madame Maxime killing Crouch is like, that's funny. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, But then you start to kind of dig deeper and look at why Fudge would be suspicious of her. And it's like, okay, it seems like he's pretty, I guess, I don't know if the word is specious or what, but like pretty prejudiced against her because she's part giant. Yeah, I think it definitely is specious, um, if that's how we want to say it, um, because he even says, do you know what that woman is? Um, So it's definitely a Dumbledore, come. Don't you think you might be prejudiced in her favor because of Hagrid? They don't all turn out harmless, and indeed you can call Hagrid harmless with that monster fixation he's got. Yeah, it's it's starting to get really ugly, what he's saying. Like, it's it's disturbing, and honestly, like... uh, Typical, too, that he would be like, well, you're prejudiced in her favor. Um, right. No, I think you're prejudiced against her and against yeah. Hagrid. Right. He's yeah. like reverse speciesism is what he's trying to call there. Um, but yeah, then when Harry comes in, Fudge turns super friendly. He's wearing his pinstripe cloak and lime green bowler. Harry, how are you? We were just talking about the night when Mr. Crouch turned up on the ground. I'm kind of surprised that he's honest with Harry there. Yeah, me too. I think he's trying to, like, again, get in Harry's good graces so that maybe he can have Harry, like, kind of side with him in this or something. Or Yeah, yeah. yeah. Harry then goes, I didn't see Madame Maxime anywhere, though, and she'd have a <laughs> job hiding, wouldn't she? Okay, yeah. I mean, it's funny how Harry is very bold in the things that he'll just say to people, um, especially people in power. I would, you know, I do really kind of admire that about him, like, because that that's really hard to do, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. But I think it's because Harry was not raised in a in a household where he was like really told to respect authority. I mean, I guess like he did respect. I mean, he was always very kind, you know, like he's a nice kid. But I don't think that the Dursleys actually tried to like teach him any kind of like um, moral code. So that's probably why he's this way, which I'm saying it's good. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, yeah, him standing up to fun. It's funny because he kind of puts fudge in his place there fudge is like he says he looks embarrassed um and he's like okay well if you'll excuse us i'll talk to you later bye (laughs) right he does seem a little bit abashed there um but yeah so we're going to see fudge next he takes the place of crouch as the third judge in the third task after crouch has been you know disappeared and probably murdered um well literally murdered but presumably for them um, so he's the third. He's there for the third task. Obviously, that's kind of a a narrative pu- uh, purpose for that because he's going to be there when Harry comes out of the out of the maze with Cedric's body. So it's important that he's there for all of that. Definitely very interesting that he's actually personally there to witness Cedric's death. Um, I guess you know only Harry really was at the graveyard um, of the people then that re- are are there. But he sees Cedric dead and everything. Um, and and he still becomes a huge denier. Like, that's pretty telling of who he is. Yes, definitely. Um, I think that this is, um, like, this. these last few chapters of the book really show who Fudge is. And we're there's not really any excuse when we get to the fifth book to see how Fudge is acting. Like, we can, there's no, like theory that somebody could have if they were reading the fifth book for the first time being like oh well maybe fudge just doesn't really know like no he was there he heard barty crouch jr not firsthand but like he could have he made the the really stupid choice to have the dementors kiss barty crouch jr um and like it's very clear when we start the fifth book like fudge is willfully being this way like he's not 
there's no no excuse for it other than that yeah exactly I think like that was you know I think the author does like to have some gray areas sometimes with characters but I think in this case um she didn't want it to be like a question of whether maybe fudge just you know he just didn't know or whatever like he I mean he was there he doesn't have any excuse and I, I kind of like that yeah, he's the one who's there right in front of Fudge when, or Fudge is right there when Harry comes out of the graveyard. Um, he's Harry, he's back. Harry whispers that, uh, but he's—I guess he says that to Dumbledore. But yeah, I guess one could maybe say like Fudge. It's very confusing with the Rita Skeeter article about Harry being disturbed and dangerous before this, and a lot of the stuff leading up to this. But I, I just feel like the proof is right there when he's when he comes out of this of the maze like this but yeah fudge is there when cedric comes out of the sorry fudge is there when when harry comes out of the maze holding cedric's dead body and he's like he's telling harry to let go and we hear fudge's voice he'll need to go to the hospital wing he's ill he's injured dumbledore diggory's parents they're here they're in the stands and then harry's kind of just like experiencing this because he's uh being dragged away by Bonte crouch jr <laughs> yeah, which I honestly can't believe that Dumbledore allowed that to happen. But yeah, that's no, for another, Dumbledore was busy. <laughs> that's for another conversation. I mean, I guess, yeah, Dumbledore's got something awful to deal with here with Cedric being dead. But um, <laughs> that that he let Hag- that he let anybody take Harry away from him in that moment was kind of crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not trying to like rush through Fudge's role in the fourth book at all. But I do think that the biggest part that we should discuss the most is what Fudge's reaction is after Harry and Cedric coming out of the graveyard and his bold decision to administer the Dementor's kiss on Barty Crouch Jr. without so much as a questioning. Yeah, and that was obviously a very, very misguided, um, you know, overstepping of his powers. Um, And I think, again, we've talked a lot about this chapter, The Parting of the Ways, and in many ways it is the parting of... Dumbledore and Harry and and that crowd and parting with the ministry and realizing that they're going to be approaching this from two very different sides and that they're not going to be working together, unfortunately, to stop Voldemort. Yeah, this is a chapter title that I didn't used to understand, um, but I think we've definitely confirmed um, through the years and definitely in our book club um, that this chapter, the title, The the Parting of the Ways, is about the line in the sand that's being drawn by Fudge's decision to um, have Barty Crouch um, be be given the Dementor's kiss, that the line in the sand has been drawn, the the ministry is on one side and the order is on the other side, and they're not going to be approaching Dumbledore's or they're not going to be approaching Voldemort's return in the same way at all. Yeah. Um, and, and Dumbledore is done with fudge. Um, and he's, he's super like they really, uh, even McGonagall um, is actually the first one to really freak out at fudge and be like, that wasn't okay what you did. Um, but yeah, then Dumbledore's obviously on that side as well. And it's interesting because Snape, too, um, is on the side of, of McGonagall and, and Dumbledore here. This is actually one of the best looks for Snape that we've seen in the first four books, I would say, where he says, when we told Mr. Fudge that we had caught the Death Eater responsible for tonight's events, he seemed to feel his personal safety was in question. He insisted on summoning a Dementor to accompany him into the castle. He brought it up to the office where Barty Crouch was. So I feel like it's clear that Snape is not in favor of what Fudge did either. Yeah, he's mad. And I think I think partly because, like, I really do think, I mean, at this point, we know that Snape, we're going to see him be deployed to be the spy um, for the Order. And I think 
yeah, he's he's just mad that we couldn't have had like Barty Crouch Jr. be questioned and everything like that too. And yeah, it, it's just crazy that like. I don't know. I think if Barty Crouch Jr. would have been able to be questioned, we could have had a more definitive, yes, Voldemort is back. Um, and now, and so Fudge's decision to have the kiss administered is not only like to protect him in a physical sense from like a dangerous Death Eater, but also to protect his narrative that, you know, Voldemort is not returned. Right. If only Snape had been wearing a wire when Barty Crouch Jr. gave testimony. Like, it's, it's so frustrating that the only people who witnessed Barty Crouch's actual testimony was, uh, were, that were in the room was Harry and um, Dumbledore and McGonagall and Snape. Like, that for... And Winky, I guess. Um, like, that that puts Fudge in a very good spot of, like, he can now say, oh, well, that, there's, no minist- there's no mystery why he killed them. He was a raving lunatic. He seems to have thought he was doing it all on you-know-who's instructions. Um, and I think that if, if more people witnessed how Barty Crouch Jr. really was talking, it'd be clear that, yes, he was a lunatic, but also Voldemort was back. Like, I think that this was... I don't know if Fudge, if this was as much of a calculated decision as maybe we're saying it is, but I do think that the silver lining or a big factor of why Fudge did this um, was that this was now... This now erases any, like proof that Voldemort's really back other than the testimony of people who are clearly Dumbledore supporters. Right, exactly. Like, I don't necessarily think he thought about all of that right in the moment, because I think it was way more of a spontaneous decision. Um, Yes. But I think it really worked in his favor. Um, And he definitely, yeah, it definitely worked to his side of the narrative, so... Right, yeah, because then he seems, like, genuinely shocked when Dumbledore confirms that that's what Barty Crouch, like, truly... Voldemort's back and and Fudge says like see here Dumbledore and it says Harry was astonished to see a slight smile dawning on his face you you can't seriously believe that you know who back come now come now certainly Crouch may have believed himself to be acting upon you know whose orders but to take the word of a lunatic like that Dumbledore yeah and then and then Fudge later then just he, he calls Harry's integrity into question as well Right, and I think it's super interesting with Fudge and the whole denying Voldemort thing, just because I do think, like, a very tiny part of him might have really thought that Voldemort is back and he's purposely denying it, but I do think a big part of him, like, convinced himself that Voldemort had not returned, and I do think that he really kind of, he prefers that narrative, so he actually believes it. I don't think that he's purposely necessarily like knows that he's lying um but I yeah think, i think that it is a large part because he doesn't want to believe it so he doesn't and that's not to make excuses for him at all that's equally bad um definitely horrible if he's convinced himself of this like it's still very dangerous and it's still there's no excuse for a leader to be acting like this but yeah i do agree that i don't think he's acting in malice right now i think he genuinely does not want to believe it and he's painted a narrative in his head that he's believing that no there's no actual proof of this the only proof is the words of a madman and a boy who well <laughs> and he just like goes on to say that he's a parcel mouth and that he's been having funny turns all over the place so i i think that he's at this point it's not like we're seeing an evil evil side of fudge like we're going to see in the next book but we it's very clear that he does not want to accept that voldemort's returned and he's convincing himself actively this is not true yeah exactly um so i think yeah it's very interesting to see like it's an easier decision to kind of say well these people 
we can't trust them for all the, these, these reasons um, rather than to face the truth. Um, so that's definitely the path that Fudge chose in the end of the fourth book here. And then he carries that out through the fifth book. Right. I think it also doesn't help that when Harry tries to give proof, he starts rattling off the names of the Death Eaters. And his first two names that he says are Lucius Malfoy and McNair, who both work for the ministry. So I think that that's calling Fudge into like making Fudge think he's being accused. Um, so I think he wants to defend himself that way. Um, and then he continues to say other names and Fudge just makes excuses. Oh, that's just the same names that you've heard before. Right, exactly. Yeah. So. so there's there's not, I mean, this big speech that Dumbledore gives to Fudge is very important where he says, if you accept the fact straight away, Fudge, that Voldemort has returned and take the necessary measures, we may still be able to save the situation. The first and most essential step is to remove Azkaban from the control of the Dementors, which Fudge thinks is insane and preposterous. And, and then he continues that the next thing he needs to do is send envoys to the Giants, which Fudge shrieks about. <laughs> and he just completely says, nothing that you're saying here makes sense. I'm not going to do any of those things. And Dumbledore even says, I think he tries to appeal to Fudge's best nature. He says, you're... Um, Take the steps I've suggested and you will be remembered in office or out as one of the bravest and greatest ministers of magic we've ever known. Fail to act and history will remember you as the man who stepped aside and allowed Voldemort to a second chance to destroy the world we've already we have tried to rebuild. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting just to hear Dumbledore lay it all out there for him and then Fudge just uh, you can see from Fudge's perspective how some of that stuff does sound crazy but at the same time knowing what we know you know that Dumbledore has the right idea and it's just it's yeah it Fudge doesn't want to do it because he's too scared and he is he he just he wants to hold on to all of these safety blankets that he's got right exactly and I mean I think that like Dumbledore even says to him like you are determined to shut your eyes he's saying I don't think he's even saying I think he's saying exactly what we said, that he's truly believing himself, this false narrative that he's trying to paint for himself. And Fudge then tries to, like, fight back with Dumbledore. He's now, see here, Dumbledore, I've given you free reign always. I've had a lot of respect for you. I might not have agreed with some of your decisions, but I've kept quiet. But if you're going to work against me, and Dumbledore, again, says this is about against Voldemort. It's not about against you. And Fudge just says he can't be back. So this is the line in the sand for sure. Yeah, it's a really powerful scene, especially, I mean, there's just so many parallels to what is happening in our current world. Um, we don't even have time to go into all of them, but it's very interesting to see just the ways that um, that Fudge completely, like, it, it's hard, hard truths that he would have to swallow here, and he just really doesn't want to do that, so he's willing to like Dumbledore said, he's willingly shutting his eyes to the situation. Right. The moment then comes where Snape even thrusts his dark mark in Fudge's face and he shows how dark it is. And it says, he did not seem to have taken in a word Snape had said. He stared, apparently repelled by the ugly mark on Snape's arm and said, looked up to Dumbledore and whispered, I don't know what you and your staff are playing at, Dumbledore, but I've heard enough. I have no more to add. I will be in touch with you tomorrow to discuss the running of the school. Yeah, so we've definitely seen the line drawn in the sand, and um, Fudge has definitely shown his true colors here. Right. I don't know what you and your staff are playing at. <laughs> like, 
And that just says everything about him him really seeing the way Snape talked to Fudge there. And again, this is a great this is a great chapter for Snape. I think we might have actually given the real weirdo to Snape in this chapter, or we're like this we're actually pro Snape here, mm-hmm. um, for for multiple things that he does. But yeah, the, the like lumping them all together as like you're actively against me that shows us everything about fudge and his motivations his character right like this isn't about fudge this is about voldemort and so but suddenly you know fudge is he takes everything super personally and is super afraid to do anything that's gonna you know put him outside of his comfort zone so i think he he takes everything as a personal affront right so that's the end of the fourth book for Fudge. Obviously, the fifth book is going to be where his real, real true nature comes out. Obviously, we've just seen it come out in the end of the fourth book. But the fifth book is really his darkest time. Um, and it's kind of interesting because he's actually not actively in the book as much as I thought he was. Obviously, Umbridge is there as his puppet. and um, Or even maybe maybe Fudge is more of her puppet, honestly. But we'll talk a lot more about a lot of the things that happen in the fifth book that are a result of Fudge's policies when we get to talking about our fifth book real weirdos and we talk when we talk about umbridge especially uh but i think what we're going to focus on more today is just kind of the actual things that we see fudge do because i i would argue that many of these educational decrees that we're going to see are really through umbridge so we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about umbridge in the fifth book as we talk about fudge in the fifth book because that's a big discussion that we want to save for a longer episode. Yeah, totally. There's so much. Obviously, a lot of Fudge's policies, like you said, really impact what happens in this book. But also, like you said, Fudge himself is not personally in the book as much as I thought either. Um, but you do get to see him in the hearing with Harry um, when Harry's being tried for uh, having performed magic. Um, and you get to see how really this power has super gone to his head and like I guess not the power necessarily but just like wanting to hold on to his power and wanting to hold on to this narrative like he's willing now to do whatever it takes to hold on to this this narrative that he's spun for himself and for the public Um, and so he's really lost it here totally totally and I mean I think we we see from the beginning of this book where we have um, Harry like reading the paper trying to find something like he seems to think that fudge is just actively being or just actively being passive so passively doing nothing um that's what harry thinks is what fudge is doing because he's not really reading the paper thoroughly and he thinks that he understands this based on what he saw at the end of the fourth book but once we actually see fudge in the hearing and i guess before that too when uh, we hear about percy um and percy's uh leaving the family and leaving the order and the things that fudge has done since since the over the summer we hear about those things secondhand but once we actually see fudge in the ministry um at the hearing he just is is a whole new person he's speaking coldly to harry he's being completely like authoritarian and it's it's very stark difference from how we've seen him in previous books yeah uh, he like you said huge difference over you know that jolly kindly person like that's gone um he's just he's um just really committed now to preserving the narrative that he's spun um and he's not listening to harry at all like when harry's being interrogated by the wizengamot he's just kind of like ignoring what harry's saying um yeah yeah, and I mean, actually, this description of his uh, looks in this scene is very uh, important. I think it says here, Fudge was a portly man who often sported a lime green bowler hat, though today he had dispensed with it. 
he had dispensed too with the indulgent smile he had once worn when he spoke to Harry. So I think the lime green bowler hat might be gone for good, and so is the smile on his fudge's face. Yeah, that's symbolic. Um, also, one of the most disturbing parts of this of this scene is seeing how rude fudge is to Mrs. Fig. Like, yes. it, it's pretty awful how dismissive he is of her um, and how suspicious he is of her when he that she's a squib um again kind of showing his bigoted side totally showing his bigoted side i agree um he completely is is very dismissive of her and rude too even like the way he talks to her um he's also we see he's very shaken when dumbledore shows up because he seems to have like tried to he definitely tried to finagle it in a way that Dumbledore wouldn't have come um but yeah that that's also telling of Fudge's character in this scene and then we once we see Umbridge too um that's also important for this scene and for Fudge's um development yeah and I think like you said it's it's kind of hard to say who's controlling who out of Umbridge and Fudge I definitely think that Umbridge is more the one who's pulling the strings um but it's interesting like why she suddenly has come to power in the way that she has. I'm sure she's been around, but um, this is just her moment, I guess, to shine. Um, And how Fudge, I think, now kind of has maybe replaced any other people with her that he's going to listen to and um, also Lucius, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that in the previous years, it was Dumbledore who played this role for Fudge. He was asking Dumbledore for advice on everything. Um, And now Umbridge has... Sur- surpassed Dumbledore obviously com- completely surpassed Dumbledore and then Lucius as well um but yeah I completely agree like I think the Lucius sorry I think that Umbridge has been around I don't think that this is her first time working with Fudge um but she just probably didn't have Fudge didn't Fudge listened to Dumbledore over her before this mm-hmm. exactly yeah and so it, you see how Fudge he started out with just the lie um and then he you know, wanted to believe the lie so much that he starts going to people who also want to believe the lie. Um, and he's just cementing his position and kind of digging a deeper and deeper hole for himself. Um, and yes, yeah, just going further and further to, yeah, defend what he's committed to at this point, which is that he does not believe that Voldemort is back and that he wants to paint uh, Dumbledore and all of Dumbledore's followers as, like, unhinged. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, And I think that it's interesting to kind of contrast um, Umbridge and Fudge's approach in this hearing with Madame Bones' approach. She's She's very cold herself, but in a very, like, just way I think um whereas Fudge like not a very convincing witness is what he says about Mrs. Fig whereas Miss Madam Bones says like oh she thinks that she did describe the effects of a Dementor attack um accurately and Fudge is snorting about her and like it just is like Fudge there's no doubt once you're reading this in the reader's mind like who Fudge is who Fudge is being and like what his who what his character is yeah and yeah, he's definitely 
he's definitely like purposely ignoring certain facts. He's not listening to the whole story and he's wanting to dismiss things that don't agree with whatever he wants to believe. Um, and I agree, Madam Bones is a queen we stand. Right. Dumbledore says, I've already given you my views on this matter, Cornelius, about the Dementors and Fudge. Yes, you have. And I have no reason to believe that your views are anything other than bilge, Dumbledore. The Dementors remain in place in Azkaban and are doing everything we ask them to. So it's just pretty sick the way that Fudge is totally, totally in denial. Obviously, that's not a hot take. Yeah, it is a sickness, honestly. Like, just the lies that he believes and and how much he's willing to defend that or the lengths he's willing to go to 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 stick to his narrative um so yeah right yeah and then we also hear this uh mention where dumbledore mentions how he appealed to fudge the night of harry's uh like the night that this dementor attack happened and fudge is fudge says like oh we are going to you're not going to have control over that kind of thing very soon. Um, like as Dumbledore, the ministry has no authority to punish Hogwarts students for misdemeanors at school. And then fudge, not our business, what he does at school, eh? You think so? And then he says laws can be changed. So of course, very much foreshadowing of, of the events of the fifth book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So that's pretty much the hearing. Um, you know, we're deaf. That's probably one of the biggest scenes in this book where we're seeing Fudge showing his true colors uh, up up close and personal. Um, we do get to see a funny take on Fudge from the Quibbler. Um, the Quibbler <laughs> is also very uh, concerned about what Fudge is doing, I guess. Yeah, specifically, this is about um, the way he's treating goblins. He's known as Cornelius Goblin Crusher Fudge. That's what his friends call him. If you could hear him when he thinks no one's listening. Oh, he's always talking about the goblins he's had done in. He's had them drowned. He's had them dropped off buildings. He's had them poisoned. He's had them cooked in pies. But Harry, Harry stops reading and says, Fudge might have many faults, but Harry found it extremely hard to imagine him ordering goblins to be cooked in pies. <laughs> that sounds disgusting, by the way, to eat a goblin flavor. Pie. I mean, I don't think I don't think he would be eating them. I think he just would have them cooked. It's like a, I don't yeah, know. I don't. I don't... I, I'm not imagining Fudge trying to eat the pies. But maybe I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, the thing about that is, I think like yeah, I think that this article is a bit silly, but there probably is a grain of truth to it. I'm not imagining that Fudge probably really enjoys goblins. So uh, probably not. But that's that's a fault of many wizards. So that's I don't true. think it's a specific to Fudge thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, so like I said, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the stuff that Fudge impacts in this fifth book because we want to talk about that in our Percy part two and our Umbridge and just like spend more time on it. But the next scene where we really see Fudge is not for another 500 pages. Um, it's going to be in the um, centaur in the sneak chapter when Marietta has ratted the DA out. And Fudge is really, again, it's like there's no no even inkling of the way he was acting in the first four books. He's just an angry, like rude man yeah you don't see him being at all pleasant he's not trying to like he's not trying to warm harry up or um, make harry you know feel comfortable or anything he's just questioning him he wants to get he basically he's looking for any excuse to get dumbledore out of the school at this point so right Yeah, so he questions Harry, um, and of course Harry is acting uh, on what he thinks Dumbledore wants him to do, and he, he pretends like he doesn't know what Fudge is talking about, and Fudge is, so you have no idea why Professor Umbridge has brought you to this office? You are not aware that you've broken any school rules or ministry decrees? So it's news to you, is it, that an illegal student organization has been discovered within this school? It's 
also like so many leading questions right (laughs) like we couldn't have just said like Harry, do you have any idea why you're here? It's like, so you have no idea why you're here? You are not aware that you've broken school rules? Right. It does say, Harry says, it was almost worth telling those lies to hear, to watch Fudge's blood pressure rising, but he could not see how on earth he would get away with them. <laughs> but Harry is getting a little bit of pleasure out of this. Um, yeah, so then we continue and, and Fudge... Then we see him completely change tack once Marietta is brought into it. And he um, says he he fixed Marietta with what he evidently imagined was a kind and fatherly look. It is very brave of you, my dear, coming to tell Professor Umbridge you did exactly the right thing. Now, will you tell me what happened at the meeting? What was its purpose? Who was there? Um, So he's very, um, like, we see kind of shades of the old fudge. um, The way he talks to Marietta is kind of the way he used to talk to Harry. Yeah, you can see here why he was an effective politician in some ways, um, just being able to kind of turn on this this guise of being like kindly and caring about the people that he's talking to. Um, and, and it is very manipulative. Like, I guess that's a point in this Slytherin book for him, um, just being able to manipulate people like this. It's it's interesting. Exactly. Um, and yeah, he kind of he kind of switches because Umbridge is definitely the more forceful person in the, in the questioning of Marietta, whereas Fudge is trying to be the like kind and sweet one. Um, but then, yeah, he kind of talks again. He's like, he doesn't actually do much talking because Umbridge does most of the questioning of Marietta. Yeah. Um, and I think he's happy to let Umbridge play the bad cop role, even though he also is kind of a bad cop, but I think he's enjoying kind of like, he gets to kind of, I don't know. He lets her take the lead and he's happy with that. Exactly. Yeah. So then we continue. And uh, I mean, again, he's not doing much here, but we see that Fudge like is very like eager to get Dumbledore out. He's very eager to try to get Potter or to get Harry in like a corner. Um, and then the the grossest part is the way that Fudge talks with Percy. And he's like, Weasley, have you written it all down? Everything he said, his confession, have you got it? And Percy's like so eager. And that that's really... I don't know. I will talk about it more when we get to Percy, I guess. I think it's interesting when we see Fudge react to Dumbledore saying that he was the one who created the the DA um, because I think Fudge, this is the first time, I've said that he believes his own lies, but I think that this, he's so gleeful because it's like, he's kind of, I think, almost relieved to find out that he he thinks he really was right. Um, He's like, so you have been plotting against me. And he's he's like happy to find that out because I think he he really so so desperately wants to believe his own lies that hearing this, even though it's bad news that Dumbledore had been plotting against him and we know that it's not accurate, um, but Fudge is just delighted to find that out. He's quivering with delight and shut up, Potter. Well, 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 I came here tonight expecting to expel Potter, and instead, and Dumbledore, instead, you get to arrest me. <laughs> um, yeah, then Fudge is like completely taken aback, of course, when Dumbledore says, like, there's been a snag. Um, and of course, this is like a great scene with Dumbledore. Um, but yeah, then Fudge says, oh, so you intend to take on Dollish, Shacklebolt, Dolores, and myself single handed, do you, Dumbledore? He's really like, oh, my friends are cool. I've got, my friends have my back, Dumbledore. Uh, Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's very telling. I mean, like I said, just to see the joy that Fudge is is having in in the idea of arresting Dumbledore is kind of pretty perverse. 
Definitely, yeah. So it's, I mean, as we continue through the rest of this book, obviously Fudge is acting behind the scenes, but I do think that's probably his most important moment in the the book is where we actually see him uh, trying to arrest Dumbledore. And then, of course, Fudge gets uh, stunned with the rest of them um, during Dumbledore's Great Escape. Yes, which is very, I'm very glad that, that Fudge was not actually given the the pleasure of arresting Dumbledore. Um, I'm very glad that Dumbledore did not come quietly. Right. So, of course, we cannot let this uh, character study end without talking about uh, when he's at the Ministry after um, the battle between Dumbledore and um, Voldemort. And, of course, we get, he's back. He's back. He's back. (laughs) Um, That's not exactly how it happens in the book, but he does see Voldemort for a second, and he... he, uh, says like that he saw him and he has to admit that it's true right which is honestly very um it's interesting because he's had proof in front of him for months um that he's chosen to ignore it's interesting that just seeing Voldemort is enough for him to actually admit that he was wrong um but that's kind of a point in the idea of I really do think that Fudge believed his own lies um I I don't think he would have if if he truly like, if he knew he was lying to himself, then I think he wouldn't have admitted that he had seen Voldemort either. You know what I mean? Yes, I think so, too. The proof is really what he needed, I guess. I mean, he's going to admit in the paper, um, in the, the chapter, um, uh, the, the second where it begins, like, he, he has a brief statement where he confirms that Voldemort is back, and he also reports the mass revolt of the Dementors. But we see here... Fudge actually kind of does revert back to how he was, um, where Dumbledore gives him some orders of what he needs to do, um, including removing Umbridge from Hogwarts to um, stop searching for Hagrid and um, to um, he's going to return. He's going to wait for Dumbledore to return so that they can discuss things after he's talked to Harry. And I do love how um, Harry makes a or Dumbledore makes a portkey and Fudge tries to argue, you know, see here, Dumbledore, you haven't got authorization for that portkey. You can't do things like that right in front of the Minister of Magic. You, you. (laughs) Yeah, it's like he's, it's like the last desperate attempt to hold on to what power he has. Um, And you could just see it like slipping through his fingers. Um, So, I mean, it's interesting that he, that Dumbledore here really does just reclaim everything. um, And, and Fudge is kind of left just with nothing right and then i think that this daily prophet article at the beginning of second year begin or second war begins is really telling of fudge and i mean the daily prophet kind of turns on him here because switches to it says even like um the minister's statement was met with dismay and alarm from the wizarding community which as recently as last wednesday was receiving ministry assurances that there was no truth whatsoever in these persistent rumors that you know who is operating amongst amongst us once more so they kind of uh sell him out a little bit there but yeah yeah what's interesting is that when the fifth book ends the reader doesn't know for sure what's happening to fudge we don't know that he's going to get removed from office um i don't remember like what i i don't think i really thought about it when i read it for the first time and i was surprised then when i read the other minister chapter in the sixth book of finding out that fudge was no longer minister i guess um i mean it, it does make sense but it just wasn't something that had really crossed my mind what about you yeah well i think there was some theories like well what's fudge gonna do now that we know now that he knows voldemort's back um and i i kind of like that we don't get to see him have a chance to redeem himself like he gets removed from office and i think that that's he he doesn't get a chance to be like on the side of the of the order um 
which I don't know that he would have been a great, but like maybe with knowing that Voldemort really was back, maybe he actually would have kind of listened to Dumbledore again and, and Dumbledore might have had him in his pocket. So honestly, maybe we would have been better off with him than with Scrimger. Yeah, I don't know, though. I, I do think that I, I it's hard to say because I, I don't think Scrimger is necessarily a bad leader. It just... I, it's hard to say. I mean, I think we'll talk about it a lot more as we get into the later books um, with later character studies. But yeah, yeah, I think I think the the last thing I wanted to talk about really quick with with Fudge in the fifth book before we actually talk about the other minister chapter in the Half Blood Prince. I think obviously just like the existence of Dumbledore's army, we kind of skated over a little bit. Like the name of the organization is because of this uh, fear that Dumbledore. That they figured out from Sirius that Fudge has of Dumbledore creating the army against him, and of course Luna says, "Oh yeah, well Fudge has his own army of heliotropes." <laughs> but I think that that whole saga with with what Fudge's real fear is is really um, telling of Fudge's character. Yeah, and I think he's a very fearful person, but he's then in this situation, like acting out of a fear that's maybe more manageable than the the real fear of Voldemort. Um, He'd rather think that Dumbledore is plotting against him than the idea that Voldemort is back. So he's, both senses he would be afraid, but in this sense it's like a more manageable fear that he can, that he can, he feels he can do something about more actively. Right, exactly. It's much more manageable because it's a a person he knows that he thinks he's against and it's a person that he... um, I think knows how to discredit more so than he would be able to discredit uh, someone like a, like a Voldemort character. Um, yeah, but it's just so, like we said, that the seeds are there from the first four, three books um, that we see Fudge in. I guess it's the first four books technically because the first book doesn't really count. But the second, third, and fourth books, the seeds are there of how Fudge is going to treat um, a, tr- a true threat of Voldemort and he's going to choose something else um, that, that makes it seem more like the Ministry's in control. Um, but yeah, I think what's what's interesting about Fudge's arc, if we can call it that, is going to be the way Fudge tells this story um, in the other minister chapter, which is our first chapter of chap- of book six. Um, the way he tells the story of the last five years um, to the, the Muggle prime minister is, is very interesting. Yeah, really interesting to see his perspective on the situation and how he's always trying to like assuage the prime minister's fears he's always like oh not to worry it's it's odds on that you'll never see me again i'll only bother you if something really serious is going on um uh, and then that's what he that's what he first says and then he keeps on having to come back to tell him things and every time it's like no we've, we've got it under control um and yeah it's just you can clearly see um it's interesting to see from fudge's perspective like kind of how the control really is getting away from him Right, exactly. And I think what's most interesting, I mean, because most of the stuff in the other minister chapter, which is a great chapter, I'm not trying to downplay it, but a lot of it is like review or it's not new information from the reader's perspective. Um, It's just a new way of hearing the stuff. So we have we see him at the beginning of every book, pretty much um, once we get to the third book, like starting with Sirius Black's escape. coming to talk to the prime minister about things that are happening and the way he it's interesting how much the prime minister dreads these visits because i think he feels kind of patronized in these in these uh, conversations and rightfully so yeah he feels patronized and i think he has kind of clued into the fact more than fudge has that you know every time he sees fudge he's seeing fudge losing more and more control over the over the wizarding world everything's getting 
uh, worse and worse. Um, so it's, it's worse news every time. So he dreads that, and then he dreads also feeling stupid because Fudge is talking to him about stuff that he can't really fathom. Um, so, yeah, you definitely see Fudge coming unglued here. It's interesting. Like you said, we've, we've already seen all of this um, through Harry's perspective, but now to see Fudge's perspective and to just to see how like how much he's really lost it through all of this time and then it's funny too when he tell when he's like oh my dear man you can't possibly think that i'd be uh, that i'm still minister after all this i was sacked three days ago the whole wizarding community has been screaming for my resignation for a fortnight i've never known them so united in my whole term of office just with a brave attempt at a smile it's like okay fudge maybe maybe a career in comedy is your is your next calling yeah, and honestly, like, that's the probably the most sympathetic moment we have of yes. Fudge is when he is being a little bit more self-aware and being, like, kind of making a joke at himself um, and not taking himself so seriously. Um, and I think Fudge, honestly, is, is relieved at this point to be out of power. I don't think that he yes. enjoyed being Minister of Magic, and I don't think that it was a position that he was well-suited for in any way. So I think once, we've see, once we see him as a, a common person again, not as the minister. I think he's much more endearing. Much more so. And I agree. I, I like to see him being more self-deprecating in that moment. Um, and he, he is kind of laughing. And then the prime minister, it says he fe does feel sorry for the for Fudge. And he says, if there's anything I could do, and Fudge, it's very kind of you, prime minister, but there is nothing. I was sent here tonight to bring you up to date on recent events and to introduce you to my successor. I rather thought he'd be here by now, but of course he's very busy at the moment with so much going on. You can tell that he's like not really envious of, of Scrimger at all. <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah, Fudge, like this is an interesting way to just wrap up his arc because I mean, I, it's not like I, like I said, I do not like feel sorry. I, in some ways you do feel sorry for him, but he doesn't really deserve that. Um, but exactly. It, it's interesting that you see a little bit more human side to him where you kind of can relate to him a little bit of like, okay, it would be really, really stressful to be in the position he was in. Um, he, from his own perspective, did what he thought was best, um, and he was clearly extremely misguided in that. Um, so he's a very, yes. very flawed character. He did a ton of damage. Um, we can't let him off the hook, but I think seeing this human side of him is kind of a nice way to wrap up the arc. I, I agree. I think that's very, very accurate. Um, I think that I do feel a little bit sorry for him here, but again, like you said, you're not really supposed to, or like, I mean, you don't, you really shouldn't feel bad because it's, a lot of this is his doing. Like he was very dangerous as a leader. Um, and he, if he hadn't um, been so willfully ignorant to the dangers of Lord Voldemort, like Dumbledore even said, he could have been, he could have gone down in history as one of the bravest and greatest ministers that the, the Ministry of Magic ever had. I mean, I don't think Fudge was the person to be that way, but it's, it could have been possible. And I, like I said, we, we can compare Fudge's actions to, I current world leaders especially in the face of of a pandemic that's that's uh extremely dangerous and to downplay it is 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 a very reckless and horrible thing to do um and i think that that's that comparison has been made a lot in the last few months of of fudge's leadership during the wizarding war and and other others leaders during a, a pandemic yes very very accurate so a very interesting and timely discussion i really enjoyed talking about fudge um I would say for rating him, I would definitely give him, 
I would give him, I don't know, maybe a one in heart. What about you? Yeah, I don't see much heart from him. I, I don't see why we could give him a two. Like, I, it's all very cold from him. Um, and as far as, as even when he's being the kindly father figure, he's clearly doing that out of self-motivation. And it's not really a sincere love for Harry or anything. So yeah. I would say one for heart. Um, maybe a two for humor. I don't know. I don't think he's that funny. It, there's definitely moments where you can laugh at him. Um, he's sure. He's very... He's very laughable in the in the sense of just I don't know, but it's it's I would agree he's not like that comic relief character by any means. Most of the time you're like afraid when he's there, right? Or just like annoyed almost. So yeah, yeah. I would say two for heart or for humor, and then uniqueness creativity. I do think he's a very like, and again we're kind of getting uniqueness and um and depth maybe mixed up a little bit but I, I would say he's a pretty pretty unique character I don't yeah, know even three. within even within the books I don't know I would give him at least a four just because I think there's not really any other characters in this series that are like him he's evil in his own way um and I mean there's a few that are sort of similar to him but I, I what I love about him is that he shows us another dark side of humanity that isn't isn't just the like the evil that you think of like Voldemort he's evil in a different way so that's what I really really think is interesting about his character yes exactly so I yeah I, I'm I'd be totally fine with giving him um a four for uniqueness and creativity and I think for depth probably a four is or maybe a three I guess we don't know much about his like childhood but yeah <laughs> yeah pretty complicated though he he is complicated he's very complicated and I don't think that it's like I don't think he was easy to write. You know what I mean? Like, I think yes. we really, ha I mean, to really get a character like that, you really have to know that person. Um, and it, he's very, very consistent in the way that he's portrayed. Like, I, even though there's times when he seems nicer, when you look at the whole picture, you can really see a very clear picture of who he really is. Uh, yes, exactly. So I, I would say three for depth, because I do think we can't go below a three. Um, I no, do think definitely not. We could... Like, the fact that we don't know his Hogwarts house, that's kind of a point in bringing it down a little bit. Um, yeah, I also thought it was interesting. Backstory, really, so. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting um, on the Harry Potter wiki, and the source was from the Lego Harry Potter game, so I don't know how, how much we can <laughs> trust this, but apparently his boggart is Lord Voldemort. Hmm, that is interesting. I mean, I know he is afraid of him, uh, but I almost feel like his boggart would be, like, would be like a... A newspaper that says fudge sucks. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would picture like a, a crowd a crowd of angry constituents. That's yeah. like his biggest fear, to, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, definitely a, a people pleaser in, in the worst sense of the word, I would say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you can find those character rankings um, on our website, realweirdsisters.com. Fudge got exactly 10 points um, this time, so that's pretty low for in comparison to the other real weirdos that we've studied so far. Uh, but I think that's pretty fitting. Um, of course, make sure that you get, you go to facebook.com slash realweirdsisters. Give us a like there. Um, and we're on Twitter at realweirdsister. 
We're also on Instagram at Real Weird Sisters Pod. And um, of course, the number one way to support the show is by going to patreon.com slash real weird sisters, um, where you can subscribe um, at the one to $20 level somewhere in between as well. Uh, and if you're at the $5 level and up, you get a extra show per month, um, which is very fun. We get to do question and answer shows um, from the patrons every month. And those are a really fun um, patron cast that we do um, every few weeks. So definitely check that out if you are interested in supporting us financially. Of course, if you're unable to support us financially, you can always go to the Apple Podcast app or iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use and give us a five-star review there. We have one this week to read from I Love Fart Smells, um, and the title is Voldy Got Low. So this person says, I started this podcast while moving from South Carolina to Michigan close to a year ago, and I thought it was just going to be a passing fancy while I drove 12 hours across the country. Little did, I, little did I know that two really weird sisters and their wannabe sister were going to make my Mondays something to look forward to every week. Their insight and laughs were something I didn't expect, and I've always appreciated the highly logical way you both break it down. All in all, I can't wait to be a part of the growing weird family with them big black flowing robes and Wellington boots with the straps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I forgot funny. about when we did the Voldy Got Low. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, thank you very much. I really enjoyed that review. Um, and why don't you say their name, Alice? <laughs> That's what they go by, right? Yeah, um, so thank them for us. Say their name, please. <laughs> thank you so much. I love fart smells. <laughs> I cannot. Now, I mean, I don't know what we got it on tape, folks. <laughs> Alice loves fart smells. So does you. So do you, Martha. So does you. So does you. <laughs> sorry about your name that's what alice wants to say next <laughs> sorry sorry about your name that's what i <laughs> like to say to people apparently right um yes but thank you very much for that review we appreciate it we appreciate all the five-star reviews we haven't gotten one for several weeks recently and that's kind of sad but hopefully we'll get one soon i know um, this I've... is really getting sad so come on people hopefully we can guilt you enough into writing us a review folks um, but we will be back next week to talk about a real weirdo, one of the realest and weirdest weirdos of the series. That is Aragog. <laughs> um, so stay tuned for our Aragog uh, character study next week. And until then, we're the Real Weird Sisters. We're the Weird Sisters, we're the Real Weird Sisters, all you other Weird Sisters are fine, we're not the Vickers, we're the Real Weird Sisters, please stand up, please stand up, please stand up. Please stand up.